You know that God is singing over you and I. Scripture says that, that He rejoices in us. He sings over us. Scripture says that we are the apple of His eye and that He loves us. We're going to look in Romans 3. If you want to turn there, we're going to look in just a moment at the second in our series, God at Work. Let's open with prayer. Lord, we pray that you would help us to hear this beautiful, amazing gospel that is truly the answer to everything in our lives, that you are at work and that we do not have to, nor can we, earn grace but we can receive the free gift. I pray, Lord, that we would receive it for forgiveness of sins. I pray we would receive it for cleansing of heart. But I pray also, Lord, that each and every person in the sound of my voice would receive your work as sufficient for everything we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, <clears throat> we're going to talk about God at work and what he has done. Scripture tells us that God uh, is going to send us a helper, one to be with us. We know that the Greek word there for helper, paraclete, um, is the one who is like the first. In other words, the helper that comes to us is just like Jesus. It's the spirit of Jesus. It's the presence of Jesus. And we know Jesus said, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. If you have me, or if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you have me, you have the Father. I and the Father are one. So we know that the helper that God gives to you and me every day is himself. So I was talking to a helper that I have uh, you probably have this helper too in your pocket. And I was talking to this helper the other day. It was probably a month or two ago. And, and the helper here didn't help very much. And I kind of insulted her. And I said, why aren't you very smart? Or why are you dumb? <clears throat> and she said, I'm trying the best that I can. Seriously, that's what my phone said to me. I said, why are you dumb? I'm trying the best that I can. Then I felt bad for insulting my phone. But the helper that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ and his presence, he doesn't say to us, I'm trying the best that I can, I'm sorry. Because anything we give to God, he's able to handle. Completely, thoroughly, perfectly. Um, so we know that this is all about being at work. Uh, we know that uh, at the end of the day, when you and I come home from work, there's probably things that still were not done. And we know that the next day we've got to get up and we've got to go back to it. I love the fact that God doesn't sleep or slumber, right? That he's always on watch, that he's always working, he's always um, desiring to, to bring about our oneness with him, and he's working towards that end. I love that. Um, for us, we know at the end of the day, we've still got more work to do and that we're out of energy and we're out of time and we're probably out of ingenuity, but God doesn't run out. His supply is endless. God has all that we need and more. So we're going to talk today about uh, God being at work, what God has done and is doing for his beloved. I don't know if you took me up on the uh, 
uh, invitation to read Romans 1 through 5, but I hope you have because we're going to continue next week. Also, you can read a little bit further, read three more chapters next week, and ask this question as you go, what has God already done? It's a beautiful thing to see all that God has already done for us and what he offers to us. So um, let's turn to Romans chapter 3 and uh, verse 21. That's where we're going to start. And then we're going to work our way through. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested or made known, revealed to us, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there's no distinction, for all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. When God publicly displayed as a propitiation in His blood through faith, this was to demonstrate His righteousness, because in the forbearance and the patience of God, He passed over the sins previously committed, so that His righteousness would be demonstrated at the present time. So, in Romans 3, 4, and 5, we basically have three things that are going on. One is that God is saying we're all guilty. We've all messed up. We've all fallen short. We've all done things that we're not happy with, that we're not pleased with, that we know caused other people pain, and maybe, well, not maybe, definitely separated us from God, because sin always separates. Sin always puts a wall and pushes back. And so we know that Romans 3, 4, and 5 is about all of us being guilty. We've all messed up. But then the second part about what it's about is that there's a way by faith for us to have that relationship set right between us and God and us and other people. We know that that justification comes by faith, not by the things that we do, but by believing that God will honor his word, that he will forgive us and cleanse us, and that he'll bring us into union with him. So we know, number one, we're all guilty. Number two, there's this faith component that God's going to bring justification to us. The third thing that Romans 3, 4, and 5 is about is about Abraham in the Old Testament showing us that it's not by the things you do. Because Abraham believed God, it says, and God counted him as righteous and said, hey, here's a righteous man. If you remember in the Old Testament in Genesis, I believe it was chapter 6, it says, now Noah was a righteous man. Now we know that Noah, like all the rest of us, did things that he regretted. I'm sure he snapped at his kids. I'm sure that he was impatient at times with his neighbors. And yet God himself, through the Holy Scripture, said that Noah was a righteous man. So how can we be righteous except that we believe that the Lord Jesus is able to do it in our hearts by faith. And then the fourth part is of this Romans 3, 4, and 5, I'm just kind of giving you the big picture here, is that the result of what God does in our hearts is that you and I can live a life of righteousness and grace living in Jesus. We can do the right things for the right purposes at the right time by the grace of God as long as we stay in touch with Jesus. We keep listening to him. Um, you know, I've often thought, wouldn't it be awesome if Jesus just kind of walked and talked with me all during the course of the day, and I could just look over at him, and I could say, Jesus, what should I say to them? And he would tell me what to say, and I'd turn back, and I'd say it. And then I'd come to the next situation, and I'd say, now, Jesus, I've got a choice, and it's between this and this. What do you think I should do? And he would tell me, and I would do it, and then everything would work out beautifully, because I've got this helper, this assistant, except he's not my assistant, I'm his, but he's walking with me, and I can say, okay, Jesus, what do I do? 
And of course, I mean, you guys are already ahead of the game here because you're like, well, of course, we already have that. The Holy Spirit who's with us. You can stop during the day, any time of the day, and you can pray and say, God, which should I do? What should I say? What should I not say? And, and, and the beautiful thing is that he's just as present with us as if you could see him, even though you can't see him, right? And so we stop and we pray and we say, Lord, what should I do? And then the result is that God will direct our path and he'll tell us what to do and he's going to lead us perfectly every time. You know, one of the things that I love about the Lord is that when we ask him to help us and he says no in regards to, we say, okay, God, this is what I want to do. And he says, no, that's the right answer. Or when we say, God, I want to go down that path, and he says, no, not that path, go to this one. Well, when God says no to what we want, then that's okay, because he answers out of his perfect depths of wisdom and the riches of his grace and out of his perfect love. And when he says, no, I don't want you to go that way, I want you to go this way, it's because he knows the right way to go. So let's look at Romans and find out about what Romans says about what God has done and who he is. So the first point on your outline there is who God is and what he's doing. We know that God is always faithful. Did you know that they say that every 0.7 seconds on a TV screen, the angle changes of the camera? They either zoom in or they zoom out or they move this way or they move that way or they change cameras altogether. Every 0.7 seconds. Is it any wonder we have ADD when things change every 0.7 seconds? I can't even keep up with that. It's frustrating. It's, it's alarming. But you know what doesn't change is God because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just as much as this world is changing and this world is, is, is topsy-turvy and we can't figure out exactly where it's going and just when we think we know where it's going, it changes directions. But God is the same. When you go to God, he listens. When you go to God, he imparts perfect wisdom. When you go to God, he's always loving you. He's always working out of a motive of love. And so we know that God shows himself faithful. Even our unbelief, Romans 3.3 3 says, even our unbelief or even our, our own behavior of, of not following his voice doesn't nullify his faithfulness. Even when we mess up, it doesn't change his faithfulness. He's still faithful. He's still the same always and forever. The second thing about who God is, is not only is he faithful, but he always reveals righteousness. Always reveals righteousness. And so we've got there at the beginning of verse 21, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. It has been revealed, and it's been testified to by Moses and by Joshua and the prophets and all these Old Testament characters, but also up to this day, the righteousness of God has been revealed. In other words... God has shown consistently since time began that he's going to do the right thing every single time. I love the fact that God is faithful and that he is righteous. He's always doing what is holy and right. Now here's the other thing is what God is working for. God is working for you and me to receive that righteousness by faith because the reality is is that we don't always work for what is right. Sometimes we work for what's convenient Sometimes we work for what's comfortable. Sometimes we work for what benefits me the most, at least in my own mind's eye. But God wants us to work for and run after that which is right, which is him. And he makes it possible for us to receive righteousness by faith. And God offers it to us by this perfect gift of his Holy Spirit and the perfect gift of Jesus dying on the cross and rising again. He offers to us righteousness. 
The thing about righteousness is it's not something that you can bring about by working really hard because you can work really hard and still know that in your heart you're still mad, right? I can't believe I have to do this stupid job, you know? I don't they know that I'm, I can do this or I can do that? And you can, you, can be, you can be inwardly angry or bitter or discontent or at odds and yet outwardly you're still doing the work that you think you're supposed to be doing. Have you ever gone to church and been really, really grumpy at God? Have you ever worshipped and you're like, man, I just... Because inwardly, you can still have this wrestling, but there's a righteousness that comes by faith where God says, I'm not just going to change the things you do outwardly, but I'm going to change your attitude on the inside. I'm going to change the things in your mind that you think about. I'm going to change the things that you dwell on and the priorities of your life, and I'm going to do it by putting my righteous Holy Spirit inside of you. It's my gift, and it's a gift that comes by faith. It comes by faith for those who believe in Jesus. So that's, that's who God is. That's what he's working for, that he would make us righteous so that we think on the right things and we have the attitudes that are the same as Christ Jesus and that we display around us the light that is Jesus. But here I want to back up a little bit and talk about the fact that there's this work of the cross of what Jesus did on the cross for us. It's a sufficient work. It's a complete work. It's not like we have to add something to it. Um, It's not like we say, well, if Jesus died on the cross and I go to church every day of my life. Well, let me give you an example. I know a beautiful lady in Alabama. Um, She's walked with the Lord for the majority of her life, probably 60 years or more she's walked with the Lord. And and she's she's a Christian lady who believes that the Lord alone has saved her. But she has this one thought. She thinks that if she doesn't get her tithe check in next Sunday, then, and God comes back, she might not make it to heaven. Now, I know she believes in the Lord Jesus for her salvation. She and I have talked about it. I've heard her testimony. But somewhere along the line, she had this idea that putting her tithe check in the offering plate on Sunday is what made sure she got to go to heaven in the end. Remember the opening lines of that song that we just saw? Why are we trying to earn grace? The sufficient work of the cross. It's not like you can say, well, God, <clears throat> I know you died on the cross, and, uh, and on top of that, I served the homeless a meal every Thanksgiving for 15 years, so that was probably a really good thing. Now, should we go and serve the impoverished and the down and out? Absolutely. As a way to demonstrate love, as a way to say to the Lord, thank you for dying for me when I wasn't worthy, when I couldn't do anything for myself. But serving people or putting your tithe check in doesn't save you. It's the sufficient work of the cross. Romans 3.25 says, God publicly displayed as a propitiation or an atonement, as a payment in his blood, through faith. He publicly did this to let us know that there is no other foundation for yours in my life that can ever be established except that of Christ Jesus. Now, we've seen a whole bunch of weather phenomenon over recent years, right? Whether it's fires or whether it's floods. Well, thinking about floods, um, maybe you've seen some of these floods where the, the mudslide comes off of the hill and it just takes out the house there, right? Or the storm surges where the hurricane is out at sea and it builds up this storm surge and it comes in and it just wipes out the things in its path and leaves nothing but just the sand. You know, it's pretty hard to get insurance on some of those houses right there on the edge. 
Because we know that the storms are going to come, and we know that they can wipe those things out. And Jesus gave a parable about that. He said, those who build their house on the sand, when the storm comes, right, it's going down. But when you build your house upon a rock, the foundation of Jesus Christ, then when the storm comes, you can withstand that. The foundation of Jesus Christ in our lives is the only foundation that is unshakable. If you build your life on any other foundation, it's going to be shakable. You build your life on a foundation of, of, of good deeds, or being the best churchman imaginable, or the best Sunday school teacher, or the best, but yet you didn't do it on Jesus Christ, then when the wind and the waves come... Because everything else is movable, but Jesus is unmovable. He's unshakable. I love the fact that when everything in my life seems to be going wrong, I can open my Bible and I can feel the anchor of Jesus pulling me down steadfast, saying, here it is, anchor in me and don't be moved. And so the sufficient work of the cross, God has publicly displayed the atonement for our sins so that all may see and know Another thing about the sufficient work of the cross is that God raised Jesus from the dead. There's a lot of religious leaders who died and never came back. But Jesus rose again. That's a powerful thing. I think we've heard it so many times, you've probably heard it thousands of times in your life, that we've almost become numb to the reality of a resurrection from the dead. But if you physically saw somebody walk into your house or into your presence that had been dead and you'd been at their funeral and you'd been at their burial and they walk in, something's going to happen in your reaction where you're like, wait a minute. Am I crazy? Am I missing something? What's going on here? Because we've just heard it so much that we've, we've almost missed the awe and the wonder of he was in the grave and he came back out. I don't know how many of you remember um, contemporary Christian artist of the 80s who sang a song about Lazarus. He sang, Lazarus, come forth. It was a powerful song and they painted the picture of of this guy with grave clothes coming out of the grave and walking forward. And I know to all the kids, you're probably picturing, you know, the mummy and all that kind of stuff. But he was alive, and he took all those grave clothes off, and he threw it there, and Lazarus was brought back from the dead. Jesus was resurrected, which demonstrated that God has all power over everything in life. If God can raise someone from the dead, can he not breathe life into our mortal beings. If he can raise someone from the dead, you know, can't he take care of that bill that, that remains outstanding? Can't, if, he can, if the same power, this is what Paul said, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in you, if he can raise Jesus from the dead, can he not help us to overcome temptation? I've often thought that in my life when I was facing a temptation because I wasn't trying to belittle the power of God. I was trying to put it all in perspective in my life. And I was like, well, you know, God, it's not like we're raising the dead here. I'm just saying no to that temptation. It's still powerful. It still needs your power. But, but we're not raising the dead. We're just saying no to temptation and yes to righteousness based upon the sufficient work of the cross, the foundation of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing about the sufficient work of the cross is that it happened while you and I were still sinners. I've learned something about myself. I don't really like it very much. <clears throat> but I've learned that I really like to heap praise and, and accolades on people that are doing a really good job. And until they're doing a really good job, I kind of withhold that praise. 
God's been working on me about being more ver- verbal and vocal about saying thank you and encouraging people and going out of my way to build people up. But <clears throat> Scripture says in Romans here that while we were still sinners, Romans 5.8, Christ died for us. It wasn't when we were doing a good job. It, it wasn't when we'd cleaned up our act. It wasn't when we were walking that straight line and doing it so perfectly. And he's like, hey, since you're doing so good, then you know what? I, I guess I'll do this for you as well. It was when we were a mess, right? How many times have we either kind of received instruction like this or given it to somebody else? Hey, why don't you clean up your act a little bit and then I'll help you out. And God says, you hadn't cleaned up your act at all and I'm going to help you out. I'm going to be there for you in the midst of your messes. This is, this is the, the faulty um, logic that goes on in my own mind. I, I give in to temptation and I sin, <clears throat> and I say, you know what, I'm not going to go talk to God for like, I don't know, a day or two, because then I can clean up my life a little bit, and I can put a little distance between me and my sin so that God will accept me a little better. Now, Scripture says, while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. You mean, you mean as soon as I mess up, I can right there stop and say, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me, please help me to be back on the right path? Yes, because Jesus died for us while we were still a mess. So here's the things God did for us on the cross. He demonstrated his righteousness for us. He sent his son to die for us. He demonstrates his love towards us. He saves us from wrath or punishment, the justice that we actually should receive, and he gives us a blessing and said, so I read this story, I believe it's a true story, out of New York. And in New York, this lady was stealing um, to feed her grandkids. She didn't have enough food, she didn't have the sufficient employment, and so she went and she was stealing and she got caught. She went before the judge I think this was back about 70 years ago, but I may have the date wrong. But she went before the judge, and the judge says, Look, I'm fining you $10 or 10 days in jail. You pick. And uh, she picked the $10, and he pulled out of his pocket the $10, and he gave it to her. There was, there was a justice that needed to take place. She had done something wrong. There was an offense. She'd actually stolen. She'd gone against uh, civil society and what is right and good. And so he brought down the gavel and he brought a sentence of judgment and said, look, you stole. It's got to be paid for. But then he was willing to pay it out of his own pocket, which is the story of what we have in Christ Jesus. Right? I, I know that when I've done a lot of financial counseling with people, people say, well, <clears throat> I need to straighten up my life. I need to make better choices financially. I, need to, I just need to fix this. And I'm like, well let's, well, let's talk to the Lord about it. And they're like, well, I got myself into this mess. It's not like I should ask the Lord to get me out of this mess. I spent the credit card. And they're like, well, <clears throat> when you asked Jesus to forgive you of sins, did you somehow have a way of undoing your sins when you asked for forgiveness? Well, no. Well, so you mean that God gave you grace to forgive you of your sins when you couldn't do anything about fixing them? Yeah. God wants to do the same thing in your poor choices. The poor choices you made in finances, the poor choices you made in relationships, the poor choices you made in, in attitudes. 
By grace through faith, God has revealed his righteousness or his perfect way of living and his perfect um, love and his perfect holiness. He's revealed it and he says, I'm not only going to reveal it, like show you what I can do. I'm going to put it inside of you so that what can come out of you is my righteousness. And it's not by how well you've done in the past and it's not even by how perfect you're going to do in the future in your obedience. It's about believing that on the cross I did this work that was fulfilled in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of the Father and the sending of his Spirit into us so that we can say, okay, Lord, I, I'm not perfect. But if you'll help me out, Lord, I just want your Spirit to be in me want your spirit to work through me. So, how are we saved? You've already gotten the message, you've heard it your whole life, but I just want to see right here in the book of Romans how we're saved. We're justified by faith. That means believing. So I went to lunch, Zaxby's, it was a really good lunch, and I'm sitting there with a friend of mine from Puerto Rico. <clears throat> He's been a Christian now for going on 20 years, and we sit there talking to each other. He's led worship. He's helped with his team group. And he says, Pastor Mike, it seems too easy. I said, what do you mean? He said, last Sunday you were preaching about that it's by grace through faith that it's all of what God has done. I just have to believe it and accept it. He said, it seems too easy. There's got to be more to it than that. And for the next hour, we talked about the fact that he was like, it's not enough for me to just believe that he died and for me to just invite him into my heart because surely there's more to, that I have to do in order to be saved. Nope. But what about all those things that I did and I said and that, that, I, that, I, that I thought? What about those things? Do you believe? Have you asked him to forgive you? Yes. Then as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed those from you. Thrown him into the sea of forgetfulness, God says. Now, you and I know that God also works his reconciling power when we go and we apologize for things we've said and done. He can work in helping our relationships with other people. But that doesn't, that doesn't save our soul. But what it does is it opens up the, the, the avenue for us to love other people. But what saves our soul is grace. He had a hard time. I think we all do. I think there's got to be more. No, we just have to believe. God also credits our faith to us as righteousness. All right? Now, this is one that was repeated often, often, often. Old Testament, New Testament credits it as righteousness. So let's talk about what that means kind of in modern-day vernacular. So <clears throat> you do a really good job uh, at your workplace or on the basketball court, and I'm going to come up and I'm going to say, hey, you know what? You worked really hard out there. That was awesome. I saw your effort. I saw your perseverance. I saw your hustle. It was amazing. Good job. And what I've done is I've counted your hard work as worthy of affirmation or encouragement, and I'm going to say, you know what? You really put your all into it. Good job. What about <clears throat> when you go out there and you do a terrible job on the basketball court. What about when you go out there and you do a terrible job at work? And you're like, oh, it was terrible. Well, then what are they going to count it as? They're going to say, you know what? <laughs> you tried. I guess you get an A for effort, but... And there's that big but there. Scripture says that God credits it to us as righteousness that we believe. He says, you believed that my death on the cross was enough. 
I'm going to count you as righteous. I'm going to consider you righteous. Now, by the way, God doesn't ever consider anything that's not true. In other words, if he says you're righteous, it's because he's made you righteous. He's given it to you. And so I just want you to understand that it's, it's a gift that comes to us apart from our works. So what happens when we're born again? Well, here's the cool thing. When we're born again, Romans 4.11 gives, uh, reminds us that God gives us a sign or a seal of the righteousness that comes by faith. We know that that sign or that seal is the Holy Spirit. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of us. We know that another sign is, is baptism. Today's one of those days that we would normally baptize somebody. Uh, we hadn't had anybody stand up and say, yeah, I want to be baptized, but Baptism is a sign. It's an outward expression of saying, yes, I believe. And so we know that when we're born again, God gives us this sign or this seal that comes by faith, and it's the sign of the Holy Spirit. God gives life to the dead. God calls into being that which has not existed, Romans 4, 17. And then after we are born again, I want to read this with you. Turn with me to Romans chapter 4. We're kind of wrapping it up here this morning. But Romans chapter 4, what happens after we're born again in our relationship with the Lord? Verse 10 is where we're going to read. This is what it says. How then was it credited while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe. It's when we believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ that God does this work in our hearts and he, and he saves us by faith. Let's skip down to verse 20 and read this. And it says, Yet he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being assured that what God had promised he was able to perform. After we receive this salvation that God offers to us, God promises to grow your faith strong. He promises to build you up, to grow you strong, to establish you firm and secure. God promises to do these things on yours and my behalf. I love the fact that faith isn't just my own elbow grease, but it's a gift that God gives. I have been at the altar many times when I've said, Lord, I don't even have enough faith to believe, but I have enough faith to ask, Lord, help my unbelief. And so, so God says that what he does for us is he gives to us promises that will grow our faith strong, that will keep us from wavering in any unbelief, that will give God glory in our life. This is where I want to close this morning. It's in Romans 5. Because we're just working our way through Romans to see what it says. But Romans 5, and we're going to begin at verse 9. And I've already alluded to it a couple of times. But Romans 5 says this. Much more than this, having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Jesus Christ. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? And not only this, but we also exult or praise or celebrate as in the victory. We celebrate the victory in God through Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I want you to understand that what God has done for you is not only enough to forgive you and cleanse you, but also to help you to be victorious. I think the thing that gets me through every day of every week is to be able to know that when I go to God and I say, God, 
either I've messed up or this world is messed up or these circumstances are messed up, but you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And although I've done nothing, O Lord, to deserve this blessing or this favor that I'm asking of you, your grace, O Lord, you've told me is sufficient. So God, rescue me. Deliver me from this thought. Deliver me from this temptation. Deliver me from this accusation from the enemy. Deliver me from this impossible circumstance that seems to be swallowing me. I know you can. I know you will. I know you are doing that. I know it's not by anything I've done, but you have done it, and you've made the way. And so, Lord, I pray you would do this in Jesus' name. That's the faith I have for you, that whatever you're facing, that if I can pray with you and you and I can agree together, then the scriptures say that whatever we agree on together, um, that, that the Lord's going to do it. So we're praying in the name of Jesus. Jesus, heal and deliver and help and sustain and strengthen. Let me give you just a couple of examples. I don't know about you, but parenting comes tough to a few of us. But when you are insufficient in your own wisdom and strength and ability to parent, God is our Heavenly Father and He's going to help you to do it. Sometimes you may be insufficient. I've had this conversation with, with um, family and friends and church members alike. Sometimes it's just really hard to put up with a difficult person at school or work. Sometimes it's just difficult to put up with someone who's, who's kind of either bullying you or pushing you or, or making fun of you or challenging you in a way that's really not very nice. And Lord, help me to love them. And he says, my grace is sufficient. I'm going to help you to love them. I'm going to help you to be kind to them. I'm going to help you to be patient. I'm going to help you to have long suffering because his grace is sufficient. He's already done the work to help you to be his light. Lord, we come to you this morning and we thank you, Lord, that you are the foundation for a victorious life. That, Lord, when we build our house upon you as the foundation, Lord, then even when the winds and the waves come, we don't have to be shaken. Lord, we don't have to be moved, but we can just cling to you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that, that it's nothing we've done in the past, nothing we're doing now, nothing we'll do in the future that will bring about our overcoming victorious life, but rather it's leaning on you on the everlasting arms. It's believing every word that you've said, oh God, I pray that you would help us to believe every word that you've said. Lord, I know that people sometimes really struggle with self-esteem and wondering who they are, but may we believe what you've said about who we are that you rejoice over us, that you take pleasure in us, that we are the apple of your eye. May, may we have that kind of God esteem strengthening us, O oh God, building us up. Lord, I know that people struggle with worry and anxiety, fearing that they haven't been smart enough and they haven't planned ahead well enough and, and they just aren't strong enough, Lord, in order to take care of the, the problems that are arising in this world both today and in the future. But Lord, I thank you that it's not how smart we are that promises or assures us of deliverance, but rather it's your delivering arm. And I thank you, Jesus, that Scripture says that your arm is not too short to save. Lord, I know that there are struggles, O oh Lord, as we've mentioned already multiple times in relationships, Lord. Struggles with knowing how to express love, how to give forgiveness, Lord, how to let go of resentment and bitterness, 
And yet, Lord, we know that your grace is enough to help us not only be forgiven ourselves, but to forgive the unforgivable in others. Lord, that your grace is enough to accept us, and your grace is enough to help us accept others. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just hear some theology this morning about grace and about the work that you've done, but rather we would in our own hearts say, thank you, God, that you have done enough and more than enough, exceedingly abundantly more, so that I can not only get through this life, but I can have victory in Jesus' name to be like Jesus and to walk in it. Lord, I pray for every person in this room that first and foremost they would accept you as Savior, but secondly, Lord, that they would receive your sufficient supply for what is needed in their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Right before I bless you and dismiss you, I just want to encourage you. The answer to whatever you're facing this week is actually right here in these chapters, Romans 3, 4, and 5. Whatever you're facing, an impossible situation or an impossible circumstance or an impossible obstacle, it's all able to be overcome as if you just pray and ask the Lord to take care of what is needed. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May you walk with him in his peace and his finished work. God be with you. You are dismissed.